I'm excited to be able to start the, our series on Jude together. Um, the path, the, along with the rest of the pastors, we, we trust and we've been praying that um, this series would be an encouragement to you now and in the weeks to come. What we're going to do to start this morning is I'm going to ask you to turn to the letter of Jude. We are going to begin our series this morning and this week by reading the entire letter of Jude. We're going to read this short letter together before we begin. I'll give you just a moment to turn there. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not, stay, who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on, that, on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet when Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts, as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who look only after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along with by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars from whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, Look, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers 
living according to their own their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end times there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the spirit. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before, now, before all time, now and forever. Amen. Church family, would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we desperately need to hear from you, from your word. Father, would you speak to us through your word this morning? Would you use your word by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us on the path to heaven? Lord, we are indeed prone to wonder. We feel it. So we need you to keep us. And we know your word is one of the means by which that you do that. So we ask that you would help us, that you would encourage us, convict us, and strengthen us. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Imagine for a moment that you lived in New England between the time of 1633 and 1634. This was a time that was marked by death in mass numbers. People all around you would have been catching fevers, vomiting and breaking out in rashes and sores. And this killing machine would later be known as smallpox. And during this time, it was said to have wiped out nearly over 70% of Native American tribes in New England. Can you imagine waking up every morning to this threat? And what, what made matters worse is that there was no strategy to fight this deadly disease. Every single day, you had to wake up with this feeling of complete helplessness as you considered who would be next. Well, in a similar way, like the outbreak of smallpox that was spreading, the letter of Jude is seeking to address another deadly outbreak, but of this being false teachers in the church. There were some who had managed to come into the church unnoticed, and they were perverting the grace of God, they were dividing the people of God, and because of this, were under the certain judgment of God. Now, it's often that the New Testament letters help us to identify a false teacher 
by the content of what they teach. However, the letter of Jude helps us to also identify a false teacher by looking at the way people live. Jude 1.4 says this, For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Now the letter of Jude has been described by some scholars as the most neglected book in the New Testament. They speculate the reasons are because of the shortness, tone, and heavy content of judgment is the reasons that they give why some have chosen to avoid this book. And although the letter of Jude is one of the most neglected books of the New Testament, I would argue that it might be one of the most needed books for the church today. Through this study of Jude together, we will be reminded of the timeless relevance of the scriptures for our lives. This letter provides answers to the church with questions that they would have been potentially asking. These questions are really no different than the types of questions that we would ask. Questions like, how do we identify false teachers? How can we keep ourselves from being allured by these false teachers? How should we respond to professing Christians being led away? How can we have any confidence of making it until the end? As Christians, one experience that we will all share together over time is the tragedy of professing Christians falling away from the faith. As we get older, we will all have this tragic experience. Professing Christians who seem to stroll strong in the faith only to walk away in pursuit of their sin. Brothers and sisters, we have three options in front of us. We can live paralyzed by sinful fear. We can lose heart and give up. Or... Or we can turn to the scriptures, trusting God, and contend for the faith. Let me ask you, what option are you currently choosing? What option would your life say that you're currently choosing? This is not a hopeless letter of retreat, but one that calls for faithfulness to our Lord. This is the purpose of the letter. Jude 1.3 reveals this purpose for us. When writing, he says this, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints once for all. The letter of Jude doesn't just merely communicate our need to contend for the faith, but it actually gives us a clear strategy on how to contend for the faith. However, this is not where the letter of Jude begins. He doesn't start his letter with strategies to follow. He starts his letter with gospel truths to remember. 
in the introduction, Jude finds it necessary not to begin with imperatives to obey, but gospel indicatives to remember and believe. If not careful, it is possible to develop a love for contending for the faith more than we actually love the faith itself. It is possible that our fallen hearts could have a tendency to love fighting for Jesus more than we love Jesus himself. All of us, including the believers Jude is writing to, have a tendency to focus inward on ourselves and to develop amnesia to the truths of our own salvation. The evil one is crafty. We are always closer to falling away than our pride would have us think. Maybe a a good diagnostic question would be to ask yourself this. When is the last time you were amazed by your salvation? When is the last time? Would your life say that you have become bored with what God has done for you in Christ? The greeting of Jude has the aim of reminding us afresh of the gospel and its effects so that we would be amazed again by our salvation. No doubt, given the circumstances of the original audience Jude is writing to, it could have been easy to be gripped by anxiety and fear. But the opening of this letter reminds us that God is faithful to his people. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you are not already there, to the opening of the letter of Jude. We are going to read this introduction again in verses 1 and 2 this morning. This will be our passage together. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, I think it is necessary as we begin our study of the book of Jude to look more closely at who the author is. When first looking at the opening of this letter, we are given insight into the kind of man that is writing this letter. Jude, in the way that he identifies himself, communicates to us that he is a humble man who has been humbled by the gospel. He introduces himself both as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, the word he uses for servant is better translated as slave. His greeting could be read as Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. And for Jude to refer to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ would mean that he has completely forfeited his autonomy and service of self, and he now belongs to the Savior and is in complete service to him. But what makes this introduction even more profound is that he also identifies himself as the brother of James. And because we know elsewhere from Scripture that identifies James as the brother of Jesus... And since Jude states he is the brother of James, this makes Jude the brother of Jesus as well. So the question we must ask is, why did Jude leave this important piece of information out of his introduction? What was he trying to communicate exactly? Thomas Schreiner, 
gives us some insight into what he was communicating. Thomas Schreiner says he did not commence the letter by emphasizing the privilege of his brotherly relationship to Jesus, but his submission to Christ's lordship. In other words, he considered the honor of being a slave of Jesus more valuable to communicate than even his earthly relationship that he shared with him. This should leave us freshly amazed when we consider that at one time, the family of Jesus, which included Jude, responded when they caught word that the crowds were gathering to hear Jesus. This is how Mark 3.21 records it for us. It says, when his family heard this, the crowds gathering to hear Jesus, they set out to restrain him because they said he is out of his mind. Now we have to ask, what happened? Why is Jude now willing to happily identify himself as a slave of the man he once thought was out of his mind? The details of Jude's conversion are not recorded in the scripture, but it is clear that he is a man that has been arrested by the gospel of grace. He no longer sees his brother as a madman, but the Lord of glory who died for a sinner like himself. And if you're a Christian this morning, you can likely relate to Jude, can't you? You once thought Jesus was out of his mind and those who followed him were out of their minds. But by the grace of God, you no longer see Jesus as a madman, do you? but as precious to you. And because of the way the author identifies himself, we know this letter was written by a man who sees Jesus as precious to him as well. But because of the way Jude identifies himself, we know this letter is also written with God-inspired authority. By identifying himself as the brother of James, the original audience would have picked up on the significance of this association. In the book of Acts, if you remember, James was identified as the leader of the Jerusalem church. He is the one that Paul referred to as the pillar of the church. And the brother Jude chooses to identify himself with, is also the one who wrote the letter of James. So Jude is both a slave of Jesus Christ and the brother of James And this communicates the divine authority that this letter is being written with, which means we must pay close attention because God is speaking to us through this letter. But my fear is, for many of us, we are being tempted to overlook this important introduction in an attempt to get to the more meaty sections of this letter. Let's not make that mistake this morning because in these two verses are contained glorious theological truths in regards to our salvation. In these two verses are contained necessary gospel reminders that should compel us to faithfulness. So this is my purpose in preaching this opening introduction is to re-remind you of your salvation so that by God's grace, you would persevere in faithfulness. So what I want to do this morning from our text is give two reminders for faithfulness. 
two reminders for faithfulness. My outline is very simple. First reminder is what is true of us in Christ. What is true of us in Christ, that's verse 1. And second is what we need more of in Christ, that is verse 2. What is true of us in Christ, what we need more of in Christ, that is verse 2. So first, what is true of us in Christ? Look down at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude says that if you are in Christ, these three things are true of you. You are called, you are loved, and you are kept. And in order for us to grasp the significance of these descriptions of the Christian, we are going to look at these descriptions individually together. So first, if you are a Christian, you are called. The very reason you could explain that you are a Christian this morning is because God has called you to himself. And to be clear, Jude is not talking about the general call to repentance and faith that everyone gets when the gospel is preached. This is a divinely initiated and an internal, effectual call from the Spirit of God through the gospel to summon the spiritually dead to be made spiritually alive. For us to understand the the, the full depth of the mercy of God in our calling, we must consider our previous state together. For some of us, we can remember a time when we were living as rebels against God, can you remember that time? And for some of us who were converted young, you can go to the scriptures to see that at one time you were a rebel against God. This is how the Bible describes our previous state. Let's consider it for a moment together. Romans 3:10 through 18. There is no one righteous. No, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ephesians 2.3 And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Brothers and sisters, This was our previous condition. We were once spiritually dead to God. We were both unwilling and unable to come to him. Trace back with me for a moment your own salvation. What were you doing before the Lord saved you? How many of us were actually seeking for God? I don't know about you, but I was once happily, happily running down the path of destruction. 
So if what the Bible says is true of our prior condition, then we need to ask the question, how in the world are we Christians? Dead people don't wake up and decide to make themselves alive because that is impossible. Let me ask you again, how in the world are we Christians? Two words, but God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. Christian, how often do you think about your calling in salvation? I think we would do well to ponder his calling more often, especially in light of what we deserve. Paul says in Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. This is what he has saved us from, and this is what he has saved us to, and it's all by his grace. Do you see the mercy of God in your calling? This is why we sing, I had no hope. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cross, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. He looked upon our helpless state and led us to the cross of our Savior. Like Lydia in the book of Acts, he opened our hearts. He gave us spiritual sight to see and treasure Jesus who died in our place. The calling of Jude is referring to is the same calling that Jesus referred to in John 6.44. Do you remember? No one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him And I will raise him up on the last day. And if you believe what the Bible says about your previous condition, your response to the sovereign grace of God will not be to shake your fist in anger, but to humbly ask, why me? Why would God call me to himself? Well, I think Jude answers this question when he says, you're not only called, but you are beloved. God called you to himself because he loves you. He loves you, Christian. But I wonder if you're often like me and have trouble actually believing that he loves you. Do you believe that God the Father loves you? Puritan John Owen said the greatest Sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. He might be saying, Greatest sorrow, burden, and unkindness that I can lay on the Father? How can this be? Well, brothers and sisters, consider who the Father gave up for us. He was willing to give His infinitely precious Son for us. There was Nothing, nothing the Father could give up that was more valuable to prove His love than His own Son. 
Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No doubt, no doubt, the Christians that Jude is writing to can look to their difficult circumstances and question the love of God. We, in the difficult moments of our lives, could look to our difficult circumstances and question the love of God. But when we look to Golgotha and we see our Savior hanging on a bloody tree in our place, we should never question the love of God for us. His love for us is an unconditional, electing, eternal love that reaches back into eternity past, continues in the present, and will never stop into eternity future. The entire letter of Jude shows us this, that the love of God is the kind of love that is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, and is an always and forever type of love, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says. In Christ, Jude says, you are mercifully and undeservedly called and beloved by God. Christian, you are called and you are loved. Remember that you are loved by God. If you need evidence of his love, then look to the cross. That's where we see it. When what the natural eye can see calls into question God's love, we look to the cross and we see this unchanging, objective reality of his love for us. If we are called and beloved, we can also rest in the reality that we will be kept. What is true of us in Christ is that we are called, we are beloved, and if those things are true, God is going to keep us. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died the death that we should have died in our place. And he was resurrected from the grave. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are forgiven of all of our sin. The judgment and wrath that we should have taken was taken by Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His death proves the Father's love for us. But his death also secured our salvation and preservation until the end. This is a precious promise in Scripture that would have provided deep comfort to the believers Jude is writing to. In the midst of false teachers and professing Christians being led away, they needed to be reminded of God's keeping power. And the fact that Christians are kept by God does not minimize our responsibility to faithfulness to Jesus. We know this because later in the letter he says in verse 21 that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And you're thinking, what in the world does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because in a few weeks, CJ is going to work all that out for you. <laughs> I'm just doing the introduction, guys. But I can tell you, if we neglect that biblical command, we will ruin our souls. But if we keep ourselves in the love of God until the end, it will be because he was keeping us until the end. His grip is the more decisive grip. 
He knows how to get his people to glory full of faith. He is the good and perfect shepherd who will lose none of his sheep. That is what is true of God. That is what is true of us, that we are kept. Can we just marvel for a moment at the introduction of Jude? Look at the active mercy of God to undeserving sinners. Think about who we were and what we deserve and now how Jude can describe the Christian Called, loved, and kept. The opening verses of Jude should remind us of the unbreakable chain of our salvation found in Romans 8.30. If you remember, Paul says, And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We could say this morning, To those he calls, he also loves. And those whom he loves, he also keeps. When you look around you and you see others falling away from the faith, and you're shaken, remind yourself of what is true, that his calling, love, and keeping cannot be thwarted. Be reminded of what is true of you in Christ, and by his grace, press on in faithfulness. So one of my favorite books to read to our children at night is The Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. This is the smaller one that I'm going to refer to. And my favorite Bible story out of that book is the Red Sea rescue of the people of Israel from Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. And listen to how DeYoung summarizes this event that points us forward to our greater rescue in Christ. This is how he simply summarizes the story. He says this, God raised up Moses to deliver his people, but in reality, God did all the work. God did all the work. When we get to glory, we can say Jude told us to keep ourselves in the love of God, but in reality, it was God who did all the work. The opening of the letter of Jude reminds us that God in Christ has done all the work in regards to our salvation. And we, like the Christians Jude is writing to, we need to be reminded of what is true of us in Christ, that we are called, loved, and kept. But the greeting of Jude does not stop there because his prayer reminds us of what we need more of in Christ. This is the second reminder, what we need more of in Christ. This will be a bit shorter. Look down at verse 2. He says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. In the greeting of Jude, we see that his prayer is that God's mercy, peace, and love would be multiplied to them. And you might be saying, well, they have already received mercy, peace, and love. So why would Jude pray that these things would be multiplied? Well, the prayer of Jude for these believers reminds us that we never move on from our need of the mercy, peace, and love of God. And in order to live faithfully to Christ, we are in desperate need of his mercy, peace, and love every single day. Tom Schreiner further explains for us the reason behind the prayer of Jude when he says this. 
He says Jude prayed for mercy because his readers would resist the opponents only by God's mercy and because they needed to experience God's mercy so that they could extend the same to those captivated by the false teachers. They needed peace because the false teachers caused division and introduced strife and grumbling wherever they went. They needed love because the intruders cared only for themselves and abused the very purpose of the love feast. Jude prayed that mercy, peace, and love would be multiplied because an abundance of these qualities was needed at a stressful time in the church's life. Church family, in the current stressful time in the life of our church, do you pray for your fellow brothers and sisters that mercy, peace, and love would be multiplied to them? Do you pray that our church would experience the mercy, peace, and love and that it would be multiplied? When we as Christians and as a church, we need to be reminded of the mercy of God towards sinners like us because a Christian that forgets mercy is a Christian that is drifting towards apostasy. A church that forgets mercy is a church that is drifting away from the gospel. The believers Jude is writing to need to be reminded that if they would remain faithful, it is because of God's mercy. Brothers and sisters, may mercy be multiplied to us and may we remember that his mercies towards us are new every morning in Christ. We as Christians and as a church need to be reminded of the peace of God in Christ. A Christian that forgets our peace in Christ is a Christian who will be dominated by fear. A church that forgets our peace in Christ is a church that will be ravaged by division Living in a fallen world full of sin, it will not allow us to always experience peaceful feelings. So may peace be multiplied to us and may we remember the unchanging peace of God that is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. May his peace, his peace rule and reign in our hearts despite the adversity that seeks to overwhelm us. We as Christians and we as a church need to be reminded of the love of God in Christ. A Christian that forgets the love of God in Christ is a Christian with cold affections towards Jesus. A church that forgets the love of God in Christ is a church who becomes indifferent to our mission to rescue those who are lost and to those who are wandering from their faith. May love be multiplied to us, and we, may we remember the love of God in Christ so that our hearts would be full, full of adoration for Jesus and sacrificial love towards sinners. Brothers and sisters, may the letter of Jude help us to walk more faithfully with Christ, both individually and as a church. May the series of Jude strengthen us to contend for the faith, both individually and as a church together. May the letter of Jude be the means by which the Lord keeps us on the path to heaven. Church family, there is coming a day, there is coming a day when there will be no longer a need to contend for the faith. But until that day, we must look to Jesus, who is the end goal of our faithfulness. He is the end. We must press on in faithfulness with this day in mind. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. To those who are the called, loved by God the Father, 
and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Would you pray with me?